1: and a secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial hunger. UFOs. Paranormal phenomena make yourself at home I want to thank you Veritas member for making the truth journey possible please subscribe at veritasradio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material and when you subscribe you are essentially upgrading your mind and don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS USB drives with every season and a bonus material and everything else we have to offer To get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries. You want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. Here's some background about tonight's roundtable discussion. The future of war is going to look really, really strange. The quote-unquote super-soldier research that DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency is working on right now, is unlike anything we have ever seen before. If DARPA is successful, and if the American people don't object, the soldiers of the future will be genetically modified transhumans capable of superhuman feats. Do you want a soldier that can run faster than Usain Bolt? DARPA is working on that. Do you want a soldier that won't need food or sleep for days? DARPA is working on that. Do you want a soldier that can regrow lost limbs? DARPA is working on that. Do you want a soldier that can outlift Olympic weightlifters and that can communicate telepathically? DARPA is working on that. Americans flock to movies about superheroes and mutants, and soon... They may actually have real-life superheroes and mutants fighting their wars for them. But at what cost? A recent article detailed many of the strange research projects that DARPA is working on right now. The fact that DARPA has actually allowed these projects to be revealed in the mainstream media probably means that the development stage is nearly over and they are ready to try to convince a wary public to accept them. Tomorrow's soldiers could be able to run at Olympic speeds and will be able to go for days without food or sleep if new research into gene manipulation is successful. According to the U.S. Army's plans for the future, their soldiers will be able to carry huge weights, live off their fat stores for extended periods, and even regrow limbs blown apart by bombs. The plans were revealed by novelist Simon Conway, was granted behind-the-scenes access to the Pentagon's high-tech Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So how is this possible? How would you genetically modify a human to be able to have these abilities? A different article recently explained how this basically works. Most gene modification techniques involve placing genetically modified DNA inside a virus and injecting it into the human body. The virus then enters human cells, and its modified DNA attaches itself to the human DNA inside those cells. When you really stop and think about this kind of technology, the implications are staggering. Could viruses be used to genetically modify humanity on a large scale? How would the rest of humanity respond to a super race of mutants that are clearly superior to the rest of us in a bunch of different ways? When you start messing with creation, it opens up Pandora's box. The possibilities are endless, but so are the potential problems. Just because we can do something does not mean that we should. There may be consequences decades down the road that we cannot even conceive of right now. Other super soldier research projects that DARPA is working on at the moment involve advanced technology and robotics rather than genetic modification. For example, DARPA is developing helmets that would allow our soldiers to communicate telepathically. More recently, DARPA's silent talk program has been exploring mind-reading technology with devices that can pick up the electrical signals inside a soldier's brain and send them over the internet. With these implants, entire armies will be able to talk without radios. Orders will leap instantly into soldiers' heads and commanders' wishes will become the wishes of their men. I don't know about you, but I would not want anyone reading my thoughts or beaming orders directly into my brain. DARPA, is also working on exoskeletons that will enable soldiers to lift incredible weights without tiring and perform other physical tasks that normal soldiers simply could not do. DARPA is also hoping to one day implant microchips into our soldiers that will constantly monitor their health and physical condition our boys and girls in the field. For many, these new technologies are very exciting. For others, they cross the line merging men with machines, or messing with their very fabric of life is the kind of thing that science fiction movies are made of. Unfortunately, if we make a very serious mistake, we just can't get up and turn off the movie. And the mistakes that we make could stay with us indefinitely. But at this point, it looks like there is very little standing in the way of these kinds of technology becoming mainstream. How much do you think people would pay to be able to remain at peak fitness without doing any exercise at all. When the general public realizes what is possible, there will be an overwhelming demand for these technologies. So just how far can all of this go? Well, futurist Ray Kurzweil believes that we are only about 20 years away from actually achieving immortality. Ray Kurzweil, a world-renowned scientist and author of the singularity is near, thinks the world as we know it will be unrecognizable in 20 years. One of the changes he thinks are possible, scientists may finally crack immortality. Quote, I and many other scientists now believe that in around 20 years, we will have the means to reprogram our body's Stone Age software so we can halt, then reverse aging. The nanotechnology will let us live forever. Ultimately, nanobots will replace blood cells and do their work thousands of times more effectively. Unquote. Eternal life, I wouldn't count on the human body being able to live forever, but without a doubt we are going to see a whole lot of humans attempting to merge with technology and reprogram themselves through genetic modification in future years. The wars of the future will look nothing like the wars of the past. Genetically modified soldiers of the future will be supported by robots on the ground and by swarms of drones in the sky. In fact, the swarms of drones are already here. Don't believe me? Turn on your television. According to a Boeing press release, the researchers and engineers conducted the test flights in Oregon in June using two ScanEagle drones, which perform like a swarm of insects. The flight operator was able to connect with the autonomous drones using only a laptop and a military radio. Boeing engineers said the drones were able to complete tasks more efficiently by communicating with each other. Quote, This swarm technology may one day enable warfighters in battle to request and receive time-critical intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance information directly from airborne, unmanned aerial vehicles much sooner than they can from ground control stations today. Unquote. Is it 2013 or 1984? Technology is advancing at such rapid pace that it is really hard to keep track of it all. But where is it taking us? There is a nightmarish, high-tech Big Brother surveillance grid that is going up all around us. Our lives are becoming completely dominated by technology, and that is a very dangerous thing. We like to think that all of these new technologies will always be used for good and will never fall into the hands of tyrannical madmen. But history tells us that liberty and freedom are very rare phenomenons. Throughout most of human history, most people have lived under some form of tyranny. And today, liberty and freedom are already rapidly disappearing all over the globe. Technology has progressed to the point where it would definitely be possible for a scientific dictatorship to completely and totally dominate humanity unlike anything we have ever seen before. So, we should be very careful about what we create. We might be creating our own living hell. This was an extensive but necessary background to set the stage before we introduce tonight's roundtable. If you listen to this program, you are more than likely familiar with the term super soldier. Do I like the term? No. I heard it first on the ACE files, so it gives somewhat of a science fiction connotation. But tonight's discussion is not science fiction. According to our guests, it is science fact. I think a more appropriate term would be enhanced humans, or genetically modified transhumans, capable of superhuman feats. However, for simplicity and because "super soldier" is a known term, I have left "super soldiers" on the title. Tonight's super soldier roundtable consists of Lauren Finton, Alora Blackwell, Michael Prince also known as James Casbolt, Max Spears, and James Rink. And they will share their experiences with all of you, right now, on Veritas. And hello folks, this is Mel Fabregas, and tonight we have a very, very special event. A few weeks ago... I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Richard Allen Miller. If you haven't listened to that interview, I really, I highly encourage you to do so. After the interview, he referred me to somebody you'll meet tonight, Lorian Finton. She's the organizer of the Super Soldier Summit. Lorian and I have been corresponding for the last few weeks, and I'm very fascinated with what she is accomplishing with this summit. I've also had the pleasure of meeting a few of the guests who will be with us tonight. But without further ado, let me introduce tonight's panel. We have Lorian Finton, we have Alara Blackwell, James Caspold. Some of you know him as Michael Prince, and we'll explain why. We also have Max Spears and James Rink. Let's start with Lorian Finton. Hello, Lorian, and welcome to Veritas.
2: Well, Mel, thank you so much for having me on your show and, and all of the group here today. It's just wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, it's interesting that Dr. Richard Allen Miller referred me to you because he will be at the Super Soldier and Mind Control Summit 2 that we're holding in Henderson, Nevada on May 17th, 18th, and 19th. And we'll, um, uh, it, we'll be able to... um. Have the website ready and able uh to take <laughs> to take reservations at the hotel and sell you a ticket uh starting next week. I believe it'll be on Monday that my web designer says everything will be together so um I'm just not sure um what date that is, I need to get a calendar in front of me. I just drove in from Henderson, Nevada myself, so I'm on a on a time lag here, or jet lag as they call it. So um, by the end of the show, I will have a date for you for that mail.
1: And since we've assembled this roundtable, why don't you go ahead and introduce the panel members?
2: Yeah, I would love to. Um, Alara Blackwell has turned out to be a very good friend of mine. She is, um, uh, I, I would call her a remote viewing, uh, synthetic telepathy type of super soldier, and she'll explain much more about that here in just a moment. And we've known each other now for about a year, and it's been a wonderful experience knowing her. And then I have my good friend, Max Spears. heres He's with us today. He is – I would say he's probably more of a super soldier that has been involved in a lot of black ops and involved in a lot of the um, reptilian and satanic parts of this um, whole – I don't know what we're in. I think we're in a matrix. I think that all of us are stuck in some type of matrix that luckily enough – these people, these super soldiers, these mind control victims know about and they understand that they're navigating this and they they live it on a daily basis and I think that's where his niche is in all of this. And then uh, a new friend, I just met him this last week at the UFO Congress and that would be uh, James Casbold, a.k.a. Michael Prince and he's on the line today and I don't know much about uh, his story except for what I know through Miles Johnston, my good friend from the U Gay. And, uh, but I do know he's got an amazing wife, Haley, and I love his baby. His baby is so cute. I can't stand it. So <laughs> there you go. That's about all I know, James. <laughs> and James Rank. And James is a wonderful uh, soul within this whole uh, super soldier arena. He has super soldier talk.com. And I would call it the house for anybody who thinks they're a super soldier. Um, I, Everybody that I've met for the Super Soldier Summit I met through James Rank. James has been uh, the instigator for the Super Soldier Summit, the first one. He is also, um, he's an amazing, uh, brilliant mind um, in, the, in the field of film and um, graphic design work. And one of the things that I believe James has been used for in the Super Soldier programs is that he was a um, like a Montauk chair person, that he sits in the chair and uh, and helps the soldiers out in the field do what their missions. And I think he's probably in charge of quite a few groups of uh, soldiers. I don't think he's aware of all that he does, but he does some amazing things within uh, an interdimensional world as part of the super soldier program.
1: Before we proceed, I just for those people who are joining, what is the definition of a super soldier?
2: You know, that is really tough because I'll tell you right now, the, uh, the four people that are with us here today do not like the name Super Soldier. It, it was accidentally given to all of us, um, through, I would say the first generation of uh, super soldiers that were out there, that's what they were dubbed. And that would be people like Duncan O'Finian, Aaron McCullen, uh, people like that, that first came out and said, Oh yeah, we're, you know, we do these things within the, the third dimensional construct or, uh, you know, a fifth dimensional construct and we're in another dimension and we're super, you know, like superhuman. So the next thing they knew that um, they were talking about these war games they were playing and, and in actuality, In 3D, they were doing some more games as well and uh, going to underground bases and doing things like that. So the military became involved. So the word soldier got attached to it. And then all of us who are in part of this mind control super soldier thing that's going on got stuck with the name. So you're either a victim, you're an AI victim, or mind control victim, or you're a super soldier, and they're all victims in some way, shape, or form. But I, I don't like the name victim, and, and I just don't know what else to call us at this point. So I think everybody here online with us today would be in agreement that we all do not like that term super soldier, but um, it's being used. Now, having said that... What a super soldier is, is somebody who's being used by the military or, um, maybe another alien race or maybe our own, uh, government. I don't know. Um, could be CIA, uh, you know, uh, FBI. Who knows, uh, NSA. I, you know, I don't know. Um, none of us know at this point. Mel. The
1: reason why I asked you is because the name super soldier to, to most people, comes from the TV series The X-Files. And I know some people display a more physical ability, some other some other, you know, display psychic abilities, mental abilities. So I don't know that we can all put that term into everyone, but I agree that the term super soldier. I'm glad you said that you guys don't like it. What would be a more appropriate and I know you use it probably because people know the term. But what would be a more more appropriate term then?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. We've been trying to define that for a long time. Does anybody have an answer?
0: Enhanced soldier, genetically enhanced um, um, soldier, perhaps is like less grandiose than being super.
1: You know. Yeah. That's, but, that's Max Spears? Max yeah. Spears saying, "Can you repeat the term again, Max?"
0: I, it, it, I mean, it's not really a term that um, that's out there. I'm just thinking that because it's um, we've been genetically altered. I was just putting it out that perhaps uh, genetically enhanced soldier would be more appropriate. You know, right? I don't know. I'm just, some of these just people saying. aren't
3: aren't even military. That's the other thing. It's some people that are exactly aren't even associated with the military, but have military like training, um, or other types of covert operation training. So it's uh it's really hard to put a label on that. But I think yes, yeah,
0: it's, it's a bad idea to start labeling anyway. I think. Lorena.
1: I agree. And uh, Lorraine, why don't we proceed now to give them an opportunity to just, just state who they are and a little bit of a background of, of who they are and what, what attributes, what special attributes they display. Who should we start with?
2: Well, you know, I think the best place to start Mel would be with me and I'll just give everybody a quick background. Um uh, all of these these guys are kind of sick of the story, but I think it lays groundwork for how all of this happened in the first place. And you know, you guys, I'm thinking maybe enhanced human what do you guys all think I'm just throwing that out there <laughs> anyhow um here's my story in a nutshell I was at the Awaken aware conference in September 22nd and 23rd 2011 and I was representing several uh speakers authors and uh UFO people in the community I had a table there at the conference and at one point I needed to speak with Bill Ryan um about one of my people uh that I was representing, and I and I'm going to go back to Friday night. I'm going to skip over the Bill Ryan for just a moment, and I'm going to go back to Friday night. Friday night, Duncan O'Finian and Axe, his girlfriend, were speaking. uh For the first time, Axe was actually speaking to to an audience. And there were about oh, I think 400 in the room or 300. James, you'll have to help me, James Rink. How many people yeah, were there? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, there were a lot of people there. Let's just put it that way. And at one point she mentioned that she heard screaming in the back of her head all the time. And I thought to myself, I just, I looked around the room to see if anybody was reacting to what she had to say and nobody did. And I, and I literally almost fell off my chair because for between the ages of like 45 and 53, um I, I started noticing in the back of my head somebody screaming at the top of their lungs while I was falling asleep and waking up and meditating. And I had known about it in my younger days, but I just thought it was white noise. It became a scream uh, in my 40s, and I realized that that's what it was. Anyhow... So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself, "Oh my god, what's that all about? How come she has it and I have it too?" So I'm pretty freaked out and I say to my friend who I'd taken to the conference with, um I said, "A Solaria, by the way, she's a wonderful healer. People should look her up." Um anyhow, I said to her, I don't want to know about this. Let's go home. <laughs> because she kept saying, I want to talk to them. I want to talk to them. I said, no, no, I don't want to talk to them. Let's just get out of here. So Friday night, we escaped. No problem. Saturday night, uh, same thing. We're getting ready to leave Saturday night. And she says, oh, I want to talk to Duncan Ophinean and Axe. I said, nope, I don't want to talk to him. Don't want to talk to him. And we're trying to get out of the building. And we go around the corner to the right by the garbage cans, out to my car, way out in the parking lot. Who's standing there but Axe? Duncan O'Finian. So, um, by this time, I had thought to myself, I'm a conference producer. It would be interesting to put on a a super soldier conference. Uh, I'm just thinking this to myself very naively, folks, I must say. i got to tell you, don't ever, you know, uh, don't wish too hard, because it could happen. Anyhow, um, I get near them, and she starts running up to them and talking to them. So, I went up to Axe, and I said well what's this with this voice in the back of your head screaming all the time and she's like uh well maybe you don't want to know about it and i said you know what you're absolutely right i don't want to know about it and i went about my business and i thought that's cool i asked them to be in the super soldier summit if i decided to do one they said yes they'd be happy to do it blah blah blah. i leave okay next day we come back and this is where i needed to talk to bill ryan so we're back at the beginning of the story. Sorry, folks, I had to do a backup there. So um, I'm talking, I, no, I walk up to Bill Ryan to talk to him. And there's this gentleman that is uh, meditating with Bill over this little cube. And uh, it's a little cube that uh, James Rink is going to tell you about here in a moment. And um, they got done meditating. And uh, James stood up. And I believe he said something to me about... Uh, uh, the cube and I said meet me back at my table and in the same breath he said something about I'm a super soldier and I went oh that's fascinating because my brain's now going well there's another one for the summit and I said meet me at my table in about an hour and uh, he did so he brought a friend with him to my table out in the hallway and I'm sitting there and I look up and I had uh, the only way I can describe it is immense superpower deja vu because I'm looking into the face of a guy that I know I know, but I can't put my finger on it at all and and not at all. Just like, I know I know this guy like a brother, but I don't know where I know him from. And it turns out it's Max Spears. So, um, James, Max, and I went out to dinner that night with my friend, a Solaria or, yeah, we had dinner at a friend's house. Anyhow, bottom line, after talking to him for, um, many hours that night, the next day I woke up and I had what I call my, my big super soldier epiphany moment. And, uh, I can't talk about it on air because it's highly, um, personal and, uh, very emotional. But needless to say, I know it was real. Because I woke up, I woke up out of it and you're kind of in a, I would say it's half awake, half asleep, uh, a movie reel starts playing in your head and it's so real, it's, it's like beyond real in this. Um, 3d reality and the emotions are way beyond real that's how you kind of know that it's a real event that's taken place now whether it's taken place in this reality another reality another time I don't know but I do know this I was so upset about what they had done to me in this uh, in this thing that they showed me in this story in this uh, experience that, um, I cried for six hours, five hours, something like that. I was so upset that, uh, we were supposed to drive back to San Francisco that day and we couldn't even take off until it got dark. And we'd gotten up early to, to do this. So, um, it really affected me and it affected me for a good three months after that, that I could, I could barely talk to Max without breaking into tears. Um, it was very disturbing. And, uh, if these people are real that are doing this to all of us, Um, you know, God give me the strength because if I ever meet one of them in person, I will take them out. Um, they've done some extremely horrendous things to all of us and, um, I can't even begin to tell you people how, how amazing it is to me that, uh, the, the control that these kind of characters have that are, uh, ruining the super soldiers and mind control victims lives. Anyhow, that's my story.
1: Let me ask you a quick question. How is it that you are all able to speak now? Is it because there's always plausible deniability?
2: You know, I think that's probably part of it. Um, the other part of it is I think that by having the first Super Soldier Summit has set us, the the six of us that were in that were set free in a way that I can't describe, um, I, I'm speaking for myself now. I'll have to, we'll have to ask the rest of the group that were there. But I think it, it created a turning point for all of us. And I think that the next one is going to be bringing solutions to this, um, this, uh, phenomenon as well. But, uh, yeah, no, Mel, I think that that was it. It, it was a breaking point for them to kind of leave us, this group at least,
1: alone. I remain optimistic. I think also, we have some good people. We have some what some people call white hats that may be helping all of you tell the story and protect you. Is that, is that accurate?
2: I would think so, too. Um, I have not been in touch with some of the white hats, but I do know some of the people that are players um, in the, um, I would say, the spy, the FBI, CIA community that I know are looking out for me and what I call my kids and um, one of the reasons I have started calling these um, super soldier people that I've become close with my kids is because I do know now that I was used in a breeding program, and I know that I was used because of my genetics and because of my um ability to manifest and my empathy. I am a an empath, and uh, when I was seven years old, um, or younger, I don't even remember now. Um, I manifested a live bunny rabbit in front of my grandparents.
1: <laughs> so,
2: those are the kind of things I was doing as a child. So, um, I know now why they wanted me. So, anyhow.
1: Should we proceed with Alora? Alora Blackwell?
2: Yeah, yeah, Mel, you're here. You're the ringleader from here on out. So, go forth.
1: <laughs> Welcome, Alora. Uh,
3: thank you. Um, I just like to say that it was through sheer stubbornness, that I'm allowed to talk about this because once I got my memories back, I, um, I tried to talk about it and I would start having convulsions. I'd start shaking really bad, um, like anxiety, fear attacks. Every time I started talking about it, it also felt like I was being physically choked. Uh, my throat would swell, like feel like it was swelling shut and I couldn't speak about this kind of stuff. Um, and just through sheer perseverance, of trying to keep talking about it with people I trusted let me be able to talk about this more and more and um, and now I'm actually able to talk about it with minor reactions and that's, uh, that's definitely what happened with me but I was also told by because um, I have contact with extraterrestrials and stuff, they said that there's a, one, a degeneration of the chemicals that are being used that allow memories to come back and I was also told that there was a, like a catch in the programming so that it would release people at a predetermined time. So I'm curious to see if anyone else feels that way or got, has gotten the same message about that.
1: Now, let me ask you, uh, in your case, do you think that my control was used so that when you started speaking... The mind control kicked in to prevent you from speaking. And do you also think that uh, scopolamine was used for for you, all of you, to maybe forget what you went through?
3: Um, I know some drug was used. I don't know the name of it. I I remember being injected a lot doing certain things. Um, But I also, well, I think it's post-hypnotic suggestion. I think it's just in there either be it by an altar or by um, just a very direct command saying, you will not speak about this. You will not look at it. You will not talk to others about it. And if you get too close to the truth, you're going to have these physical reactions. Um, just like, just like if, if it was happening when I was being told not to talk about this, that same fear reaction, that same torture reaction. Um, that's, what I, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Now tell us a little bit more about you, who you are. I'm always interested in knowing the linkage. Did your parents have any involvement with military or intelligence? How did you grow up, et cetera?
3: Um, my parents were not in the military. My grandmother was involved, like a jazz singer, the VFW Halls. Um, my grandfather on the same side was also in World War II. But my dad actually confirmed for me last year before the Super Soldier Summit that he was involved in this kind of stuff. Um, I came up to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to this summit. Um, in San Francisco. And this is what it's about. I told him like black ops and, and things like that. And he said, I'm so sorry that they took you. If I had been there, I would have stopped them. They took him out of my life when I was really young. And had me um, bond with a handler instead. As my male authority figure. And... He said he's been on this is the fifth dimensional earth he's been on and that he had men in black following him around after his car accident that gave him a stroke. He had implants taken out of him. So he confirmed a whole lot of stuff for me. Um, On the other hand, I grew up next to a military base, um, Fort Ord, the Naval Postgraduate School, and the Defense Language Institute, which I later went to um, when I joined the military to learn a language. So I've always been around the intelligence community um, and um, literally within 10 minutes of each of those bases when I grew up. So that was my involvement. I think I've been taken from the get-go. I was born at Stanford Research Hospital um, because I was premature. And at that time they said that there was no hospitals in that area to be able to, to help a premature baby. But my mom was drugged for a week before giving birth, uh, she said she had a lot of injections and that my family didn't see her or me for two weeks in that entire time until I was released. And my grandmother said she was really upset because I had a lot of needle marks and a lot of scoop marks and things like that when I came home. So she was really pissed off that the doctors had, had done so much to me. And I remember her telling me that. And um,
1: being, being born in SRI doesn't seem natural.
3: No, it doesn't. It, and I didn't even know really that was a part of the remote viewing program until someone told me. And, um, and then of course after that, I've, I've had multiple out of body experiences. Um, the earliest I remember was age two when I accidentally cracked my head open when I fell off the stairs and I was floating in a corner of the room while they stitched my head up at the hospital. So I was always doing that. I was also, also lucid dreaming all the time. And when my mom lived in San Jose for a couple of years, um, I went to a summer school that was held by Montessori. And I think that had something to do with it, too, because I can't remember anything about that summer school, even though I supposedly spent eight, eight hours a day there.
1: So, And uh, do you think that you were identified, because you were a Marine from 2000 to 2001, am I right? Correct. You Were you identified or tracked throughout life and then... How, were you convinced to go into the military?
3: Oh yeah. Cause I joined the military on a whim. It wasn't like I wanted to join the entire time. It's just as soon as I hit my senior year, I just like, Oh, I'm going to join the military. Whoever contacts me first, like that's who I'm, that's who I'm joining. And I had just, without a doubt, I was bored. I was bored of school, um, higher than average intelligence in the school system it was like really boring. So I wanted to do something fun and that seemed like it was going to be fun. That's really the one reason I joined. And then, um, I was doing I was doing projects and things like that before I even joined the military, all through high school, and um, yeah, and with a lot of people that I knew actually that grew up that had parents in the DoD and things like that, um, were also involved.
1: And from 2000, 2001. and by the way, your, your title in the military, you were pretty much a military remote viewer, correct?
3: No, I was a cryptological linguist when I was mm. in the military. I don't have any link to my actual military service to the remote viewing. It wasn't. It was probably going to be there if I had stayed in, but I went through an MRI when I got back um, back to base, and after that, I started getting a lot of disjointed memories, and um, I started realizing that I was not me half the time, missing time, things like that. So I think that one of my implants went and it, it started to make me really off-kilter. So they just let me go. They just said, okay, you're done. Signed my papers,
1: and I was out. Now, I believe you have a microchip implant in your brain that has fiber optic fiber, fiber optic fibers that come down and act as dendrites to interact with your brain. Is that something that you still have?
3: Uh, yes, I believe so.
1: And this projects holographic images in your brain, correct?
3: Correct. And I can see if I activate it, I can... I can see if people are in the program. I can get a general layout of everyone around me. Um, I try not to use it that often just because it gives me headaches. But um, I don't know. I just, I really haven't played around with it since the first time that I got my memories back and it was in my face. When so, you
1: say that you can activate it, how do you do that?
3: Um, I just have to think about it and I do like a, almost like a key code across my fingers, like touching my thumb to my fingers, my fingertips. Mm hmm. And I realized that was like a nervous gesture or a habit that I did when I got my memories back. And that's when it activated. So I figured that was some sort of correlation between the action and the AI that's there.
1: And this is one of a few. Who, who do you think placed it there?
3: I don't know, honestly. I have no idea. Whoever it was, whatever group it was that's been working with me my entire life, um, I think they put it there. I also know that I've asked and had help on ship to get those implants either shifted to my use or at least out of the control network so that I wasn't getting hit with information um, from, like, government sources. So it seems to have worked. I'm not as uh, disjointed anymore. I can think very clearly. I'm very lucid, and I don't get triggered. So something something worked,
1: whatever it was. And you've had extraterrestrial contact from an early age?
3: Um, yes, from what I was told, but I didn't have conscious contact until about three years ago.
1: And this is the tip of the iceberg about your story, but because of, of, of time, uh, maybe we'll do, as I said before, individual interviews with all of you. Now, let's proceed. Thank you, Alora. Let's proceed now with James Casbalt. Hello, James. I'm Hi, Al. Now, tell us a little bit about you. I know that my listeners probably know who you are, but there's a, a portion that probably does not. So, just like Alora, tell us about yourself.
4: Well, in a nutshell, um, I was born in an underground base in Canada um, in, uh, underneath the small town of Nelson in the Rocky Mountains there. And uh, the facility was known as the Q552. And um, I was conditioned and I suppose you could call it enhanced and trained for the first four years of my life. And um, in 1979, there was a rescue operation um, by U.S. Special Forces, and uh, a group of the children were rescued from the facility. They were actually being transferred to uh, from the Q552 in uh, Nelson. They had been transferred to Dulce in New Mexico, and uh, there was a there was an interception rescue operation and. Uh, the children were taken to um, Toronto, and from there they were uh, farmed out, shipped out to adopted families, and uh, I ended up in the UK, in London. And uh, from there I was just, I was involved in um, military operations from the time I was a child all the way up to, um, you know, now as an adult. And I lived uh, between un- underground bases all over the world and the um, surface civilian population. I was being transferred in and out at the time, and um, the, in the I uh, served just under a year with the U.S. Army. I was um, released in December, and I was involved, um, obviously, in operations with them. Um, There was a, at the beginning, there was an assassination campaign against the Rothschild family, and, um, I was, I was stationed at the biggest, um, base in America, the, uh, Joint Base San Antonio, which consists of, um, Randolph Air Force Base, Lackland Air Force Base, and Fort Sam, and, um, recently I've been in, in contact with some, uh, high-ranking Air Force officers, and, uh, My memories are starting to come back um, of being involved um, basically as an astronaut in the space program. And uh, I've been given some file information from U.S. government databases, which confirms this.
1: You sent me a message this morning, somebody that you met at a a recent event that uh, you and I attended. Was that person in attendance at at that conference?
4: Um, There was, yeah, there was a uh, former Air Force officer, But um, even, let me see, it's about around two years ago, I was given um, information by MI6 and NSA agents that um, talked about my involvement with the space program. Basically, um, to cut a long story short, I was, in 2003, I had my memories completely erased, and I was uh, put into a tiny fishing village in the middle of nowhere in the UK. A little place called St. Ives. And I was, I was cut off from all my connections. I had no uh, access to any resources. And, um, the plan was to just bury me there and hope I wouldn't remember. And, uh, even when I was there, there was, um, it's like I say, it's a little tiny fishing village. There's, um, an underwater base there, um, on the north, uh, the north of the Cornish coast, um, near where the town I was the uh, sea shelf is shallow, goes out shallow for about a mile, then drops off into deep um, ocean and there's an underwater base um, actually built into the shelf Well, uh, once you get out about a mile out to sea. And um, I was going out uh, many nights at two, two, three in the morning. I was um, onto the beach and uh, I was picked up by submarines there and taken to the underwater base. And um, There's actually some kind of sea gate out there that uh, that takes you to um, Peru, to Lake Titicaca in Peru. And um, so now hold
1: on for a second. How how do you go from there to Lake Titicaca? You mean, are they caverns under the earth and that's how you get there?
4: No, there's some kind of um, sea gate that takes you. um, you, you, You're not traveling through any tunnels. You're going through some kind of seagate, and it takes you straight to the lake. When almost like
1: almost like a stargate. Yes, but under the sea. Yeah, it huh. takes
4: you there in seconds. And um, I was contacted by MI6 at the time and um, given some file information, which uh, talked about a rocket launch that I was involved with um, in Peru, in uh, around the Lima area, and. Um, The the rocket launch that I was involved in, I've got memories of this. I've got memories of um, being in the space program for years. And the the rocket launch was under the cover of a nuclear test, apparently, a nuclear explosion. And um, the file information said that I was involved with shipping um, some kind of female robots or clones. They were called Type 5 clones uh, with blonde hair, apparently. Uh, shipping them off planet through some kind of space shipping lanes. And, um, I also received information from the NSA that I was, um, involved in some kind, uh, on some kind of orbital platform, which orbits the Earth, which I remember being on that. And, um, a lot of my files, uh, kept at the Air Force, uh, Patrick's Air Force Base. And, um, there was one file that was sent to me, and it's, it's only short. I'll just read it to you. It says, uh, top se- top secret restricted clavius, um, subject X4566 slash two, Casbolt James, assessment for covert tasking. Uh, one, unstable implant series tetra has made X4566 slash two unsuitable for liquidation covert ops. Uh, two, recommend X4 X4566-2 be retained for observation and released into the general population for fellow right double-blind testing. And then it says Commander Clavius, October 4th, 1988. And I've looked into that, and um, it seems that Clavius is one of the uh, NSA bases on the dark side of the moon. I think there's a crater there known as Clavius.
1: So you, are you saying that you went to the far side of the moon?
4: I've got memories of being at a facility there. Um, I've got memories of entering into an underground um, aircraft hangar. And uh, I remember being at the facility.
1: Do you remember how you traveled from Peru to that area? I I would assume it was not a traditional rocket.
4: um, I remember, I mean, it's all coming back to me. um, The memories of being at the Joint Base San Antonio near the Air Force bases there are... um, Slowly coming back to me, but it's not that again. A lot of was given. It's not completely clear. Um, I, I remember being um, dressed in a spacesuit on a conventional rocket, and I think we, there was uh, we were we were using some shipping lanes, space shipping lanes, and I think there was travel to the moon, definitely.
1: And again, this is all. Tip of the iceberg. We'll we'll come back to you. Thank you, James. And now let's proceed with uh, Max Spears. Hello, Max. Hey, Mal. How are you? Good. How are you? Tell us more about you. Okay. Um.
0: Just to summarize. Um. I will go back to the beginning. Um. I on paper I was born in December of seventy six, and I in Brighton, in England. Um. It's just now. Uh, what from what my mother's told me, I was taken away from her immediately when I was born, and uh, for for three hours after I was born, I was taken away. Now, when I was born, initially I didn't have um, my like my body was clear. There was no marks on my body, but um, after I was taken away, uh, I'm given back to my mother. There was a birthmark that appeared on my right shoulder, which is reasonably big, maybe uh, two, th- three inches by two inches and recently I now have memories that um, it was induced, they, they gave me electroshock immediately as soon as I was born. I know that I was traumatized while I was in my mother's womb but this mark is very specific on my right shoulder and even if it's touched now I kind of have flashbacks and it's, it also constantly burns so that was kind of the beginning part when um, I knew that something was going on. Now, from about four, five, and six years old, my, my father has connections to MI6 as well. He, he was brought up by the Jesuits. He was brought up by Jesuit monks. So he was in a private school, and the Jesuits kind of did, uh, uh, from five to 18, he was brought up by the Jesuits. And I know they have a lot of links and connections to a lot of the MK stuff that goes on. My father is, um, Cuba, is, is a Huguenot is bloodline, which is an offshoot of Merovingian bloodline. And um, I, as it goes down generationally, I think that I was, they knew that when I was born, I was going to be immediately put into, into some form of program or another. Now, from about, from what I can remember, five, six, seven, eight years old, I was, I was in Brighton in Sussex, which is in southern England. And I remember going to this um, swimming pool that I used to go. It was like a um, water slide park swimming pool. There was like flumes and, you know, kind of slides and stuff like that. And it was in when in 2008 when I had a whole stream of about three weeks of memories come back to me. I remember very clearly that underneath this water slide park um, is a programming centre. And when I look more into it, I remember being in classrooms underneath this water slide park, usually with with 12 of us in there. I remember that being majority boys, maybe eight, and maybe three or four girls. And we'd be at kind of regular school desks, and there would be somebody standing at the front. But we'd be in a kind of a hypnotic state. Now, the first thing that they did is they brought us kind of a puzzle a puzzle type of thing. I the the closest thing that I can uh, compare it to is maybe like an unusual looking Rubik's cube. Rubik's cube, and then they would just say, "Go ahead, do it." And I remember thinking, "Well, I didn't know what it was that I had to do," but then I instinctively knew what to do, and I and I I finished the puzzle, and they said, and they pulled me out, and then uh, continued with other testing. There's some pretty gruesome stuff that went on there that I remember that went on underneath there. Um, a lot of, um, I remember one very specific satanic ritual that went on there. And I also, uh, remember, uh, uh, Michael, I remember James being there at that time. Um, and I remember being, him and I being friends at that time. But I only remember that in 2008 when, when, uh, when we, when we reconnected again. So that was, that was my first memories as as a kid. It's just, there is another connection as well that in 19, at the beginning of 1976, my, my biological parents were in Canada and they were living in Canada at the time. They were living in uh, Nelson in Canada. Let me and, stop you
1: for a second. Forgive for, me for jumping in, Max, but I, I can't help but notice that there's a lot of similarity between James Caspel's story and yours. You know, that Canada, uh, London, Merivinjan. Did you know him, James? Did you know each other before?
4: Yes. Yes, I can confirm that too. Yes, we did know each other. Okay. We, I,
0: I actually, we actually knew. I was actually very, very close with uh, with Michael, and um. Uh, for a very, very long time that goes back. It's actually very emotional for me because I remember a lot uh, about the connection between Michael and I. And um, I, I mean, I'll throw out another really interesting thing that Michael knows about. We were, he was also at this. It was called um, what was the name of the, the uh, King Alfred's? It was called King Alfred's Leisure Centre in Brighton. And um, I remember playing um, video games with uh, what what seemed like you know. It was, it was Michael and we would play this video game and um, the video game is called Double Dragon. And I've now as I've researched more and more into it, the, the video game Double Dragon is actually specifically for programming. And the game itself, Double Dragon, is um, uh, two twinned uh, uh, martial artists who go up through five levels. Trying to beat um, these certain things, and then uh, they get to they get to the end, and then it's kind of an old school '80s video game. But there's triggers throughout the game, and um, I I remember we would go and we would play this, and I and a couple of times when we were there when we were doing it, I know, and I'm not sure if Michael, I think you do know Michael that that something happened one of the times that we were there, and there was always a locked door which was behind. Uh, which was to the right where the change. I always felt like there was an unusual, and, we, and we're not talking about sexual stuff, but there was always an unusual kind of sexual element about this place. And I thought King Alfred's as well, the initials are K A. So you have car going on, which is the snake in Egyptian hieroglyphs. But there was a locked door, um, which was never open, uh, behind where the changing rooms were. And I remember one time um, something very strange happening, and us both, him and I, uh, Michael and I, both being lured to this door, through this door, and um, some strange things happened. We both descended down a spiral staircase, um, separate spiral staircases, and then we both were involved at that point um, in some, some nasty stuff. But um, that that continued, I mean, there was memories, I remember there's a, there's a base in London that now only now more recently I remember being in this space with Michael as well. Um, so Without going into too much detail about um, a ritual that was done between Michael and I, which maybe he can tell you more about, um, there, there is definitely some sync between what him and I have been through. There, and on paper, our birth dates are six days apart. There's something to do with that, and there's something to do with a specific project called Project Ibis, which um, in December of 76, um, there were children being born with uh, uh, a high percentage of Anunnaki DNA, and they uh, had been wanting to track that. So uh, I know Michael could tell you more about that. Uh, I just know that, that there's a connection between him and I with that, and um, you know, so I'll end yeah. So, and and,
1: yeah, and but, by the way, Max yes. keeps referring to 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 Michael. Just so, so in the event that anybody's confused. I call James Caspelt, James Caspelt because that's how I've known him. However, his, his real name given to him by his biological uh, family was Michael Prince. Now, James Caspelt is his adoptive name. Am I right? Uh, Michael James Caspelt.
4: Yeah, that's correct, Mel. My uh my, James Caspelt is my legal name and uh also the like max so on paper I was born in December of 1976, too.
0: But you see, you know, I don't think that that is um, accurate. I don't think that that really is, you know, the way that it was. I don't think that. The, I think that the, the the you know, I think there was cryostasis that went on. And my mother was born in nineteen uh, on October thirteenth, nineteen fifty-two, and I think that something happened, and that I was in st- actually in stasis. I know this is going kind of out there, but I was in stasis in this physical body that I have now. And then age regressed and then placed back in my mother and then was born that way. My mother was a carrier more so than actually my mother because I know now that I was, uh, genetically created rather than, um, uh, the irregular, you know, two people coming, getting together and having a kid. I have diff- in my beard and in my hair, I have blonde hair, red hair. I have all different colors in my, so, so it's, that's, uh, a sign that, um, I was actually built. Rather than um, your conventional, uh, uh yeah,
4: you know. I, I agree there, Max. Um, because I've got all different colors in my hair, and uh, I definitely, from my understanding, there was definitely age regression took place.
1: Oh. Do you, now, can at- you please Can you please explain when you say age regression? Can you please elaborate?
4: Okay, um, the group that I was programmed by, um, is the fourth right Nazis uh, in a nutshell, and they're a- atheists, they don't believe in the um existence of a soul. They believe that um, once a body is destroyed, the person's gone for all eternity. So they're very much into life extension. Um, They seem to be able to keep a body alive, a physical body alive indefinitely. And um, what seems to take place at certain points is um, an individual in the program will get to the age of the mid-thirties, or they'll look like an individual in their mid-thirties, and they'll be age regressed down to uh, infancy to a baby, and they can age regress them even further down to an embryo state, and then they can implant them into um, a human woman.
1: And um, but what a- is the what is the procedure? The process? Do they do they tinker with your DNA to regress you, age-wise?
4: I'm not. It's, I'm not a scientist. I'm not exactly sure how they do it. All I know is they can do it. And um, they implant the embryo into a, a human woman. It's connected with the grays, too, the gray program. And mm-hmm. they're, what they're basically doing is hiding you. Uh, they're hiding you away and changing your identity.
3: Mm.
1: So basically the same body just go, goes back in time, and then uh, you're born again somewhere else.
4: It's not. Exactly, exactly. You're not going back in time. You're physically, you're just being physically age regressed, and mm. um, pl- and being born somewhere. So you've got a new identity, you got a new name, a new birth certificate, but you're still mm-hmm. the same physical being.
1: Well, wouldn't they just uh, clone somebody, you know, like you, and then just implant the eggs somewhere else, the fertilized ex or fertilized clone? Because
4: the As well, sorry, Michael, go ahead. Um, well, basically, the Fourth Reich, they they stay away from cloning. Because it seems like when you clone a person, you um, you lose quality each time you clone them. Like so thing, when they're, they're, clone. they're wanting to keep one physical body alive indefinitely, as opposed to cloning.
0: The essence of the spirit is not in the clone. It's just downloaded memories into the clone. So the original, it has far more abilities. It has, it has far more connected to uh, creative force than a clone would ever be.
2: And I just wanted to in in interrupt for just a quick second. Let's not forget the soul aspect of this, you guys, and we'll talk about that later.
1: Sure, sure. And again, I'm pretty sure this is only the, the tip of the iceberg for Max. Now, let's go. Thank you, Max. Let's go now with uh, James Rink. Hello, James.
5: Hello. How are you doing? Uh,
1: very well, thank you. So tell us about your story.
5: All right. Well, um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and just tell you from what I recall and start from there. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in a family who basically could care less about me. They had no nurturing or love, um, uh, basically parenting instincts, and they kept me in a traumatized state. Uh, basically, um, it, I, I believe it's just to keep me shattered so that I, could, I wouldn't be able to recall what was going on um, w- when I was being programmed through my labs. Um, as far as unusual things from my childhood, um, one time when I, my, my, my dad actually admitted this, he said that when I was seven years old, he claims he did an exorcism on me and he said I was levitating up or down. Of course, I don't remember any of that. And I was a little bit shocked when he even said he did all that. But I think well probably what happens is my altar came out and he probably, uh, tried to convince it. It was a demon and probably just, um, um traumatized me further. Uh, that's that's one of the problems is that uh, people who don't really know about trauma should not be uh, going in there with religious overtones, especially if they don't understand these what's truly going on. But um, but I guess that's part of why we're here is to help educate people about that. But going on um, throughout my childhood, actually in my early childhood, like my preteen years, I used to get severe panic attacks when I was going when I would go to sleep at night. And, um, my mom was into UFOs and she would play these videos about the gray abductions and they would scare the shit out of me so bad that, um, at not- I could not fall asleep. Sometimes I would sleep underneath my bed because I-, I kept seeing this image in my mind of the gray trying to come and get me. And then around the age of 12, 13, I heard like, um, I heard a voice in my mind, uh, with the, with an image of a gray tell me that if I talk, they'll kill me. And so, um, around the age of 14, I lost my voice. My, I got into huge arguments with my father. And, um, and I believe that was part of it. I, I believe my whole family was programmed and they were trying to basically destroy my ability to speak because I think they probably knew who I would become in the future. So going on, going down, um, the uh, speech impediment. And then I developed, um, food, um, and basically eating disorder and all that sort of all just. Accumulated to the point where I, I, around my early 20s, I sought uh, medical assistance for, I mean, um, psychiatric assistance for my anxiety, and they put me on meds, and uh, that just totally ruined my health even further. (laughs) Um, So, and and that's the problem is that when you're dealing with severe trauma, you just can't go out and take a med and hope it cover it up. You, You have to deal with the trauma in a way that that's healing. So, um, it was around the the age of 25 that I met my friend Nathan Wilder and Nathan had a lot of uh, psychic gifted, um, gifts. And, um, one day I just was joking him. I, cause I, I just went on the David Wick, um, Ike website where I read about Andy, Michael Andy Perot, where he talked about, uh, super soldiers and how they could visualize their legs being super strong and jump out of airplane and land without, you know, being turned into a pancake. So I was suggesting to Nathan that maybe he was involved in all this, and Nathan said that, yeah, um, that's when his altar started coming out and um, told me he was taken to military bases, put on treadmills, and um, basically uh, given uh, training. And, um, and he said a lot of other things, and I, I got that all, all documented. Um, but the last, one of the last things that Nathan told me before he went missing, it, it was about a three-month period when I realized that when when I first – when he started leaking information from his compartments to when he went missing, he, um, he actually sent me a message. Um, and he says, um, he, he said he claimed he was in this facility where there was like some kind of, uh, force field around him And they said that they were going to kill him and that they found a subatomic, they found a way to keep a subatomic, subatomic energy inside this cell. And, but, um, after he went missing, that's when I started getting daily needle marks. Um, at first it started, it, this is around, um, April 2005. And, um, they, uh, I, I, it was about once, first it was about once a week, then it was twice, three times and all. Then eventually it got up to like three times a day when I was getting like jabbed and I had to get these triangle crests, rashes and all these cut marks and stuff. And I don't, didn't recall what anything was going on. So for like five years, I've been trying to piece it all together. And, and then, um, I guess, um, one of the first people that sort of helped me on my path was, uh, James Casbolt. Uh, he sort of, uh, he, he helped encourage me to document stuff. And, and, um, but now I guess many years later, I was able to, I believe anyway that I was able to pinpoint what projects I was involved with. So basically backtracking now from what, what I remember to what I've, I've been told anyway. Um, from um, from I believe I believe that I was part of Project Surrogate and Project Name Recovery. Um, I'm not sure what Project Name Recovery is, but um, I know Project Surrogate. Basically, what that is is they take clone embryos and they insert us into surrogate families to be raised as their own. Um, and, and the reason why they do that instead of just keeping us in an underground base under lock and key is because they find that um, super soldiers that are under lock and I mean basically if they're raised like that without any love or compassion we turn out to be weak and sickly so they have to they have to give us real families even though my family is probably more programmed and they sub subconsciously they probably knew that they, that everything was all set up now as far as when I was inserted I know max said that his mom that he he believes his mom was a carrier i I don't think that's what happened with me I think they actually I think they actually switched me out with another baby that my mom had, um, but it's, it's, at least from what I, I've been told anyway, and I, I, of course I don't have any memories about this, but um, I believe I was born around – well, when I had somebody remote view my, my birth um, – not my birth certificate, but like my file, and it, it showed my birth date. The, the date – by the way, my birth date is March 8th, 1980, so um, it, it's, it was blacked out. Happy and, birthday. <laughs> yeah, right. So it was blacked out, and I was like, "Well, why is it? Why? Why is my file showing my birthday blacked out?" So I worked with some uh, remote viewer. Actually, I do a lot of regressions with people to help pieces together. And um, it turns out it, it appears that I was born in 1976, and I grew up in underground dumb for four years, and then I was age regressed, um, inserted into my my surrogate family. So um, you know, take whatever you want from that. I, I don't know. But, um, apparently as far as you were saying earlier, um, if we're, I mean, I believe we're getting help because from what I've been told anyway, um, the genetic, the embryo stock that I came from was not supposed to have so much Palladian genetics. Um, they actually used a mix of Palladian, Nazi SS, reptilian genetics to make us. And I, and I'm, when I say us, like the, the group of, be, um, uh, embryos that I came from, everybody else, of course, on the panel here is a little bit different, but, um, so, so somebody inserted more palladium in me, and that's why it's making it difficult to mind control. I mean, not say mind, um, but basically handle me or or influ- influence me. <laughs> so they got a problem on their end. But then again, they don't want to totally get rid of me because um, um, I can do things that nobody else can do. So you know, many many people bye.
1: talk about mind control as as being probably uh, being born during Nazi times. But actually, the Germans, the Nazis, came to the United States. To experience that here, and they took it back and perfected it over there, and then, of course, we had Project Paperclip, and they came all the way here. Do did any of you, and you probably heard the name Ananerb, the brain tank from the from from Nazi Germany. Do you see that this all has roots with Nazi Germany, and they're here now? Who wants to take that?
0: Uh, yes, I'll I'll just jump in quickly. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that, and um, they uh, are big controllers of what has gone on, certainly for me. Um, and they were the ones who were in charge of, uh, how I was put together. Uh, it was basically German engineering that put me together. So yes. I, I And,
2: I'll like and to, I want, uh, go ahead, James. Then I want to jump in here.
1: Okay. And by the way, thank, thank you, James for the bio, but go ahead.
5: Yeah. I wanted to mention, actually, I wanted to ask, uh, um, Michael Prince, uh, um, I've been working with so many remote viewers and try to get get an idea of what what base that I'm being taken to. And five separate times, I got the name Jackson Facility. Does that name ring a bell to you? It's a Nazi facility.
4: No, it doesn't. No, I'm not familiar with it, James.
5: Okay, okay. Okay,
2: and I just wanted to jump in with, with, with what Max was saying about the um... – the Nazis, um, my whole thing that happened with Max was controlled by the Nazis and I believe the reptilians, but I'm not sure because I never did get to see the alien part that was involved in it. I only got to see the, uh, the place I was taken to. And um, the uniforms of the people that were uh, in the rooms as well, and they were Nazi uniforms, uh, they were modern Nazi uniforms, and I was being held in a, uh, a, a, a much older castle-style place um, and what's interesting about the whole thing and and this is going to add another whole twist to the story you guys so everybody uh get ready for this one this is where i'm 17 years old and max is 23 and in this dimension and this lifetime max is 20 years younger than i am and i'm 55 so um and this all took place sometime in my teens or my early 20s um from what i can understand of what they started using me when i was about 13 or 14 so um yeah so there you go so there's a uh, time regression is involved in this as well as uh, physical uh, uh you know changes uh physically on another dimension um yeah there's all kinds of things involved with that and i'm just going to throw that out to all of you to see if there's anything out there that correlates to my story in your stories
4: Well, um, there's definitely this... I think the root of it goes back to the Nazis. Even... um, And they're they're involved in definitely the age regression with the Montauk uh, technology. Because from my understanding, there's actually 12 directors of MI6 currently. And um, the director of special operations there is a man named Alfred Bonner. Now, this guy... um, he, when I lived in St. Ives, he actually rang my mother, my adopted mother, from from the headquarters in London. And uh, my mother said when she heard his voice, her blood just ran cold. And this individual was a um, one of my handlers back in the nineties, and um, he's a very interesting looking man. He's a huge guy. He must he must be about six foot six or seven. Um, and he dresses like your classic MIB, with like a for, uh, fedora hat with a suit. And he's got piercing blue eyes, blonde hair, and with a scar down his face. And um, this guy, from, from the research that we've done, it's looking like he um, is Otto Scorsini from World War
1: II.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense to was, me. Uh,
4: because... Which was Hitler's bodyguard.
2: World exactly.
1: Well, let me just add something to this. It may be unrelated, but uh, I have a, a friend who's a former law, or law enfor- or enforcement officer. He was uh, apparently a whistleblower and was beaten to almost – he almost died. He was left for dead. He left to El Salvador, and he's been in touch with me. I lost contact probably a couple of years ago, but I remember he sent me some pictures about the U.S. Embassy there being the largest in the, pardon me, Western Hemisphere, located in an avenue called Knights of Malta. But the reason why I'm saying this is because he also took a picture of a vehicle entering this embassy, and he had a big uh, label, big uh, 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 sticker on the back. It's a Nazi uh, sticker, uh, totally uh, overt for people to see. So I wonder what the Nazis are doing in El Salvador, in the largest U.S. embassy in the Western Hemisphere. Does anybody know?
0: They're in control of all the agencies in this country. So, so you, the, the, it was the Nazi elements that uh, began the NSA and the basis of the CIA anyway. So if you, if you think that they're, they're, I mean, they're basically running a large proportion of the planet, the Fourth Reich is doing that. So it would make sense to me that they're down there. I mean, they didn't lose the war, really. They, didn't, they won the peace. They went underground. and continued because they were, that, that always makes sense. If you don't want opposition, then you go underground and you, you continue your work that way.
4: Well, um, I just... Um, Dr. Green, Joseph Mengele, is still alive. And he should be over 100 now, but he looks like a guy in his 50s. And they it, he was supposed to have died in Brazil, but he's still alive. he lives in he, his last known uh whereabouts were in Florida, and he actually lived on a um a place called Ibis Cove. that was the name of the street, which is interesting because obviously the Ibis program was the uh children in Canada and Nelson back in the seventies
1: so a Nazi German now pretends to be a jew um he, apparently he goes by the
4: name. He went by the name of Stephen Rebel. R A B E L, I think it was. That
1: was his last known name, and he's still alive. So who, who is Green? You you mentioned somebody with the last is, name Green.
4: Doctor Green. That's Joseph Mengele from the Auschwitz concentration camp that did all.
1: This. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. A, a a a Nazi German now it's pretending to be a Jew.
4: Well, he was um, so apparently he's started the IBIS program in London in 1972, and then it was transferred to Nelson in Canada in 1976. That's right. Uh, he, he, he was I, I have um, vivid memories of him uh, uh,
0: being involved in my programming, and he was obsessed with twins and twinning, too. Um, uh, he, uh, the, the things that were done by him are beyond, beyond, beyond. But um, I know I have vivid memories of him there, yep. and I actually have memories of Michael and I uh, being programmed by
1: him. Yeah. Has he has he undergone any plastic surgery, Michael?
4: Um, he they go he they all go through CIA facelifts, plastic surgery. They use um, a lot of hormones to keep themselves young, and they use a life extension technology. That's the basis of it. But I remember Max and Twin ceremonies. Because I lived in Hove in Brighton, near where Max lived. And uh, I remember a safe house there in Hove. In oh, off,
0: off, Michael, off 4th Street
4: is where I was born. Off 4th Street in Hove. 4th Avenue, that's where I lived. So we lived very close to each other.
1: Yeah, it's Shocking. I didn't know that. You see, there's a lot of people who are listening to us right now, and no offense to you guys. You know that if you know me, I'm the most open-minded person you probably would ever meet. But there's people out there who may say, you know, Mel, what if this group is here to to spread disinformation or misinformation? I want to address this for a second, and I want to talk to you about this, Alora. What do you tell people who say, you guys are simply, you know, spreading disinformation?
3: Um, my most common response is that you know I wish I didn't have these memories, and that anyone that's making this stuff up um, is got to be really sick because this is not pleasant stuff. This is this is exciting stuff. We weren't we were going through a lot of trauma, and um, we have to deal with that trauma on a daily basis in wh- in whatever way it shows itself. And it's not an everyday thing, but it could be depending on where someone is. So i want yeah,
2: i want with- to jump in and thank you for saying that alara, because you know Alara has been like a rock uh steadfast in the fact that she is right there with me on this that is if People come to me and say, "Oh, I'm a super soldier, and I want to be in the Super Soldier Summit." You know, um, I vet them completely, mm. and so I, I turn them over to James Rank and Alara because I want them to talk to them as well. Because let me tell you, folks, if this happens to you, your life is changed completely. And it's something that nobody ever, ever wants to have happen to them. If people call me and say, oh, yeah, I'm a super soldier, and I'm just so happy to be this way, and blah, 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 I know that instantly they're lying. Because the first thing out of a true super soldier's mouth is, I'm in hell, can you help me?
3: Hmm. I had to fight mm-hmm. for my sanity. And I I literally have gone through um, just periods of time where I was unable to function, be it through my alters, keep splitting um, I had a huge degradation where I kept flipping altars literally. My friends could watch me do it every 15 seconds at some times because I just couldn't stay comprehensive. And, um, and then I finally started to go through that kind of healing process of trying to figure out what's going on and how to get control again. But it wasn't easy. Um, honestly, I don't think whoever's been keeping tabs on me expected me to be this sane, honestly. Um, I think they just let those programs activate and and hoped that we know we just stay quiet and stay so out of our power that we can't talk about this stuff.
1: And that was my next question. How do you all keep your sanity? Uh, Michael, how do you keep your sanity?
4: Well, um, it's my situation is the same as Alara's in a lot of ways. I've had to fight for what I've got now for any stability in my life. I've had to fight every inch of it. And, um, I've had to, well, basically be involved in assassination campaigns. I've had to um, go and do um, hits and shoot men in power to gain any freedom that I've got. So I've literally had to fight for it. And I've worked with different factions in the British and U.S. government. And um, even before, when I was on the entry-level training for the U.S. Army, I was involved with the Key Point Corporation, And anyone who looks into that um, company, they used to be known as Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. It's a CIA assassination firm. And um, hits took place in New York and London um, against some very powerful men. So I've had to fight for anything that I've
1: got. And, you know, I met your wife, I met your baby. And for somebody like you, you have to protect what you have now. What do you do it? How do you do it? Uh,
4: what what was that question, Mal?
1: No, I, I'm I'm saying that I met your wife, I met your baby. It, somebody like you who speaks about all of this, do you fear any repercussions towards you and your family?
4: Um, i have I'm having to stay on my feet and keep my eyes open all the time, and um, I've got protection around me at all times, physical, the special ops guys. So, um, I mean, but it we're going to have to keep taking the fight to them. So we now we're just going to have to keep fighting every inch of the way.
1: And Max, how do you keep your sanity? And also, let me add to that. I, I, a few years ago, I did an interview regarding the Franklin scandal. I don't know if any of you know what that is here in the United States, but it's about the child... Uh, uh, prostitution rings mind control children at the age of 12 snatch one of them i forgot the, the the name the name escapes me right now but you know paper boy was snatched at the age of 12 returns to to his home at the age of 20 some just knocks on the door with two handlers just to tell the mother that he was still alive that that's all he could say he went back in a car and and went back uh, to be used uh god knows for how long do any of you see any correlation between this and what you went through?
0: Um, in, in terms of uh, keeping my sanity, the original question, it yeah. uh, hasn't been uh, easy at all because um, I felt like that I have been living two lives at one time. Uh, so, And there's a lot of crossovers. It's, like, it's almost like I had one fit in one world and another fit in another world. And that has been very, very difficult for me. Um, I the, the way that I have been able to do it is to get myself around other people who understand what's going on, because this isn't something that you can regularly even go even to an open-minded psychotherapist for and, and talk about. So the way that I've done it is to um, be around people who completely understand and love me and know me. And that's... That's how I've done it. I've gone in 2008 when, um, I, I just, I was just, I was 30, 31. And, and that's often a time when, uh, the, there's a bleed through that happens with, uh, a lot of these alters and memories coming back. Well, they all came back at once. And, um, I thought I was going insane completely. And there, uh, it's, it culminated after three weeks of that with me, uh, being attacked and, There's been that was the first attempt on my life. I mean, I I, they literally I was tried to kill me, and um, I was then taken to hospital. I was in a coma for, for two days, and the hospital that I was taken to uh was also connected to uh whatever was going on. So they were then also giving me drugs to hold this together so that I wouldn't remember. Um, so it's been it's been a war and it's been a fight just to maintain it. But over the last probably 12, 18 months, I've kind of come more together and um, understood what's going on and centered myself.
1: And interesting. And how about the what I said about the child prostitution rings? Uh, I've heard that in order to desensitize a child, they would put a group of children in a room and then maybe kill one of the children so that the impact is so immense. To the rest of the children, so that that's the way they program them to do whatever they are told. Did anybody, did any of you experience this at all? I, I like to.
5: Okay. Uh, all okay. right. You want me to go on? Yeah. Well, I, I like to mention that um, um, in one of the regressions that I did, I, I, I put someone else under regression to, um, and and actually I think what, what what happened is they regressed what happened to me. Um, but basically, in this scenario, this gives you an idea of some of the trauma that we we're put through. Um, in this one scenario, um, I was lay I lay I was laid down on a table, tied up. As if this was when I was a child, and then they put me in a dark room for. And then they put a wild, a hungry wild boar um, in this room um, for about three days. And it, well, well, then they then they um, then they bring, brought some other children into the room, and the wild boar t- tore the children into pieces. And then they let the, the the flesh rot for three days, and then this reptilian being came into the room, picked up a, a piece of rotting skull and rubbed it on my arm and asked me how it made me feel. And so <laughs> these these beings are they're they're beyond sick they're diabolical and um and I'm, so anyway that, I just wanted to mention that.
1: Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this very riveting roundtable discussion about super soldiers and their experiences. We'll get much deeper during segment two. This interview is three hours long, so go over to our website, veritasradio.com, and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. Also, a quick announcement about the Super Soldiers and Mind Control Summit number two from May 17th through the 19th, 2013, in Henderson, Nevada, with 24 speakers 12 experts and 12 experiencers for more information visit supersoldiersummit.com which is also linked on our website we'll take a short intermission listen to some music and i'll see you in the member section for the rest of the show enjoy
5: This is Dr. Richard
2: Allen Miller and you're listening to Veritas Radio.